For the three years before sculptor Peter Nichols' death last year, he worked with his friend and editor Don Hunter on a biography, charting his 60 years of creating often monumental work from found materials. Well, he didn't live to see the finished book, which he titled Dynamics, Memory, Grace, Peter Nichols. He did proof a coloured draft of it just before he died in his 80s. Most of his sculptures, crafted mainly from found native wood and steel, are designed for outdoor settings. We have a selection of images of them on our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash standingroomonly. Well, Peter was also a lecturer in sculpture at the Dunedin School of Art for more than 20 years, and that's where he met Don as one of his students. Don says the biography is Peter's last great project. Well, Don, very basic question really, but what was your first encounter with Peter? Was it the artist or his art? My first encounter with uh, Peter Nichols was as a uh, teacher and mentor. I um, was privileged enough to study under Peter in his final year of teaching at um, uh, Dunedin School of Art, as an, uh, where I went as an adult student and eventually gained a fine arts degree in sculpture. So, um, yeah, Peter was a, a, a very interesting person to work with work with. He uh, had a very much understated approach uh, to to his communications with you and um, really expected his learners to work quite hard um, in term, you know, to, to drag the, the best out of them. And uh, yeah, a, a, a thoroughly enriching experience on many levels. What did you learn from him about the, the craft of art, you know, because he's a very physical sculptor? Yes, Peter was a very physical sculptor, and and he was a, a very physical person. He's he took up a lot of space. He was a big boy, um, but he was very gentle. And I guess what I one of the main things I learned from Peter was the art of understatement. Uh, it's he he wasn't one for decorating anything. He really let works uh, speak for themselves, and he, he had had the ability to um, use to, to pair things right back to their, to their minimum and let the work speak to you and, and force you to have a conversation with the works. Um, I guess an analogy would be to, uh, to describe is to destroy, to imply is to create. Goodness. It's one thing to have had that relationship as as mentor and and um, and pupil, if you like, and student. But how did you start to collaborate with Peter on the book? That really is shrouded in a little bit of mystery to some extent. I, um, you know, after Peter left uh, Dunedin School of Art and I left Dunedin School of Art, we we kept in touch through various, um, my partner Anna Terry um, shared a studio space with him for a while, so we'd keep bumping into each other, we keep bumping into each other at social occasions and things like that, and other arts events. And um, how we came across, came upon working on the book together, as I said, shrouded in a bit of a mystery, I do remember just coming away from his house one afternoon thinking, gosh, this is really, really exciting, we've decided to work on a book together. Um, yet simultaneously, uh, uh, I'm, I was thinking, what the hell am I getting myself in for? And both those uh, feelings never left me. <laughs> Why was this the right time for uh, for Peter to do this? I mean, it's a beautiful thing to look back on 60 years of your work. 
uh, in this way, very reflective, but it's a big undertaking. It was a huge undertaking for Peter and for all of us, actually. I think for Peter, Peter was, um, you know, he was in his 80s when he, he died last, I said he passed away or died last year um, in February. And he was, whilst he was still very active, he was incredibly aware of his own mortality. And he knew that time was pressing on and he really had been wanting to work on a book for quite some years. And I think he saw it as his, as his um, physical, um, what should I put, how should I put it? He was physically able to do less and less as the years progress, as happens to us all. And I think he saw the book as a way of um, tidying up loose ends, getting all his work together in, in one publication or one document, so to speak. And um, really it became his um, final creative piece, his final making. How excited was he by this? I mean, you know, was it was it quite consuming for him? Because it feels like a legacy, doesn't it? Really, that's what he was le- leaving. It did become all consuming for him, uh, which was worrying in one respect, but also incredibly delightful, um, you know, a delightful process to be involved in because he, he, Peter wasn't, as you can see by his sculptures, they're somewhat monumental. He didn't have a habit of doing anything by halves. Um, so it was, it was terribly important to him that he, that he published this book and he published it on, on his terms. Peter wasn't one for academic writing. Whilst he was an academic in his own right, academic writing wasn't his thing and he was determined that he was going to do the book. So, yeah, very important for him that this came together. I was very moved to to read in the book you were saying that Peter chose the title Dynamics, Memory, Grace and you were asking him what he meant by that and he he died before he could tell you. What do you think then he, he means by the title Dynamics, Memory, Grace? Oh, that's got to be the most difficult question you could possibly ask me, Lynn. All his works are a reference back to his whakapapa, a reference back to the irreparable damage that uh, we have inflicted upon um, our land, Aotearoa. Um, so that's the memory side of it taken care of. The dynamics... Quite a lot of his work was often in tension. Uh, for example, work could look precariously balanced. As far as grace, the word grace, a lot of his work was quite organic. He never ignored the organic nature of the materials he used. His material choice was usually wood and steel. And he always respected what those materials offered and worked with them. So Dynamics Memory Brace, Grace um, was actually a very logical title for the book. And one of us, yeah, one, as I said, one of my last conversations with him was, can you please write down what, how you interpret that title? So really he's left it up for us to interpret, and that's my interpretation. Interesting, you have photographs of his early work when he was just finishing up as a student himself at Elam School of Art yes. in Auckland. And these big, he was working with concrete, but you say, and I was really moved by this, that his move to found wood and metal was not just because it was convenient and perhaps even affordable, but really deep-rooted in his own whakapapa, his own story. 
Absolutely. And um, he had quite a long conversation with our beloved gorse plant uh, in terms of exploring, exploring that as a material. And that directly uh, referenced back to one of his ancestors, um, missionary Richard Taylor, who, who lived and worked up the Whanganui River area and was quite active in, in introducing European plants to that valley. Uh, whilst he may not, may not have necessarily introduced course, he nonetheless had an environmental impact on that space through his introduction of plants. And I think to a large extent, Peter was trying to reconcile that. He carried with him um, a certain level of um, guilt, I, I suppose. He built a house quite early on in his career in uh, Auckland and part of that process was felling um, some native vegetation on the property it was largely my understanding was manuka and kanuka and uh, young uh, broadleaf saplings and he never quite forgave himself for that destruction and uh, fortunately he acquired a swamp kauri log which he uh, eked out through his whole career making works and um, almost paying a homage to the to the destruction at his own, own hands uh, of that bush. So he's a very deep thinking, very deep thinking, long thinking person. In 1990 you have an image of Rakaia, and we have a photograph of this on our webpage, beautiful and the lines of it are quite lovely. What's the story behind Rakaia. The, the work is suspended on, on steel poles which are uh, under tension, they're, they're spring-loaded, so they, they do bend with the work. And the actual red ribbon, appears to be red ribbon, is uh, timber that has been bent to create those forms that weave beautifully across the landscape. Uh, the owner of that particular sculpture, my understanding, was brought up in the Rakai area. So it was a nod to his uh, childhood and the visual memory of that space. And when you think about the, the red ribbon you see flowing across the landscape there, it uh, up, brings up all sorts of analogies of, of ribbons of blood, the land bleeding, you know, the braided rivers of the Canterbury uh, floodplain. To give listeners an idea of the big contrast in his work, you know, these, these big metal works, these huge but hardwood sculptures. Musa from 2001, I hope I'm saying that correctly, is recovered work from part of a rock crushing device. I don't think he's done much with it. He's left the holes and the cracks in it, but it's, it's a actually sublimely beautiful work. That is an absolutely beautiful work and probably my favourite work of all of Peter's uh, many creations. You're right, he did very little to it. He simply turned one disc uh, upside down and placed as a plinth and placed the other one on top. He simply sealed it to stop any uh, more rust. And he simply placed in its center a large stainless steel sphere. So it's very, very simple work in terms of his intervention, yet incredibly complex at the same time. Hugely, ridiculously heavy, chunky work, but um, as delicate as a feather. It really is. One of his large wooden works is Luff. Again, we've got a photo for our listeners up there, which effectively yes. he's made sails of wood. It's a monumental-sized work. 
again, that's a, a, another favorite of mine. It's quite audacious to go, okay, to, he, he often talked about that work to me. He, he really wanted a work that looked like a sail luffing in the wind. Yet, sails are gossamer sum, but no, Peter took on the task of building it from uh, out of Macacapa slabs. They're, they're probably about 300 mil deep by 2, 250 wide. Yet, he's managed to achieve the look and the feel of a, of a sail in the wind. It's, it's quite wonderful how he managed to achieve that level of delicacy in a truly monumental work. I love the uh, the sketches that he's included. I mean, some of his work, he'd have to have engineering ability, even if not a degree. He has to understand how he could make these works stand and move uh, when they were needed, required to move. But his drawings are quite lovely. His drawings are absolutely exquisite. And um, Peter was quite meticulous in his record keeping. He kept visual diaries. He kept sketches, he kept scrapbooks. His studio space, his soft studio space, where he kept all his uh, paperwork, so to speak, was just jam-packed with, uh, with sketchbooks and visual diaries of his works for, through his entire career. I was itching to um, really drag out a lot more of his sketches and include them in the book. But um, he carefully chose the ones he chose and um, obviously, as, as editor, it was my job to, you know, work with him and respect that. Um, but the, the ones you see there are merely the tip of the iceberg of his uh, creative process. What was one of the works, Don, that you remember him having one of the most, I don't know, passionate or animated conversations with you about? You know, one that absolutely had to be in the book and one of which he was most proud? I think River Crossings. He wasn't overtly proud. He didn't let you know, hey, look what I've done. But uh, crossings and river crossings, two works uh, made of and around the Whanganui River. Uh, I feel for him, they were arguably the pinnacle of his career. River crossings, this was 1991, I think, wasn't it? This is English elm embedded with copper strip. And it's referencing, yes. referencing a horseback trip. Uh, which at that stage was the longest inland forest trek by European at that time. That was in 1844. Again, a really beautiful work, layered with meaning. Absolutely layered with meaning, yes. And that was uh, that was very much Peter's style. He asked you as a viewer, you were challenged as a viewer to really read the work quite carefully and come to the narrative. Those are two works that um, really define his career in so many ways and his his use of found organic objects and um, metal. He he used in ads a lot in a lot of his work. A lot of his work had, had a very high percentage of um, hand crafting. You know, he, he was a pragmatist. If there was a machine that could do the job, he would use it. Uh, but nonetheless, he took great pride in that hand finishing of surfaces and of works. And Peter didn't live to see the the final book get it in his hands, but he did see a coloured draft. What was his reaction to that? That was, um, from my understanding, it was quite a delightful reaction. I had promised him I'd get him a coloured draft to show his extended family over Christmas, and I finally got it to him in the mad panic. 
And apparently he just sat with that colour draft the whole time and showed every everyone under the sun had the opportunity to, to see it and was really quite delighted and quite proud of it. And the, the most amazing thing for me personally was that I gave him the colour draft and I gave him some instructions. I said, please, Peter, go through and make any final comments or notes because really we need to lock this down. And to my delight, he went through the book and wrote notes directly on the draft in pencil. And within a couple of weeks, he'd passed away. I received the draft back again and um, found these handwritten notes in the margins. And my job was to transpose those notes into typed form and incorporate them in the book. And I started typing the first note and then I stopped and I realized, hang on a minute, the beauty is actually in the handwriting. So I went and spoke to the graphic designer, Anna Terry, and said, look, what do we do here? And she said, look, let's just scan them in and incorporate them in the final copy as, as is where is. So what we have in the final copy of the book is Peter's uh, very last notes on the book, his pen, his hand is, is alive on the page, which is a wonderful gift. Dynamics Memory Grace, Peter Nichols, Sculptor, is edited by Don Hunter.